Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today, our guest is Fritz Ritter. Fritz is a principal at the Kronos Investment Partners, where he directs daily business development, investment packaging, operations, and is active in the capital raising. He has successfully acquired and repositioned opportunistic multifamily assets with various business partners. Thank you for joining us on the show today, Fritz. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Ali. Thank you. As we get started, can you share a little bit more about your background and just how you got started in real estate? That would be great. Sure. Yeah. So kind of getting into things, I was an electrician for five years, working outside in the elements, all like lifting heavy objects and doing that really kind of grunt work. I realized that like working for a living kind of is not <laughs> not really what I like. You know, I, I had to figure out a way to like kind of boost myself. At the time, this ex-girlfriend that I had, her dad wasn't really involved in real estate. And really, it kind of like clicked for me because I shared a lot of like similarities with him. College was not my thing. I went for three weeks, gun deal, didn't like it. And he just worked really hard. And then with that hard work and his money, he put it into real estate. And that's when really like the light bulb went off. And I was just like, oh, you know, you don't have to be some MBA or some financial analysis guru to make it in real estate. It's kind of like a level playing field for people who just work hard and buy smart. And with that, I started like engaging myself in real estate groups and it's been an obsession ever since then, right? Been reading books and podcasts, started our own podcasts and stuff like that. So I mean, like it was really the light bulb because I just saw like the freedom. And then I met this other guy at one of the meetups and he's a big believer in the four hour work week. And he's like, yeah, work about six hours right now. He's like, I'm trying to really get that down to four. And I'm just like, how do you do that? You know, he like makes way like 10 times as much money as me. And I'm working 40, 60, 80 hours a week. And, you know, you get to go live your life. So, I mean, it really was like a big light bulb and different lifestyle changes. So as you're looking at the different networking events, how are you able to choose which ones were the right ones for you? And were all of them kind of the same? Or did you find value in more in certain ones than other ones? So locally, there was one that happened every Friday by the guy who works six hours. His name's Mark Owens. And it's always at lunchtime. So it made it very difficult for people who actually like had a W-2 as well to go to it. So there was other events. And honestly, in the beginning, I just went to everything. Like, I was just going to meet people, understand like, because when I first got in, I joined this mastermind group of a guy I went to high school with. His name is Brenton Hess. And he had this mastermind group for younger kids to learn real estate because he's been very successful. He has his own coach program now, but like, and they kind of taught it to us. And that first thing I just realized, like there's even kids younger than me at the time there that were just flipping eight, 10 houses a year. I'm like, Holy crap, how are they doing that? And they're younger than me. I was like, what am I doing? Like, I need to, <laughs> I need to speed up, right? Like I need to hurry up and go do this stuff. And so I just would go and like learn and really kind of just went to every single one that I could. I mean, been a real disappointment here with COVID because I don't know, you probably can't tell through the podcast, but I'm a very big people person and I enjoy talking to people. So like, it kind of sucks, like not being able to do anything, events being shut down. In terms of networking, how have you been able to do it now during COVID? It's been a lot of phone calls. That's really try to bring in phone calls. So really my role has changed a little bit since this year started. I was mainly in acquisitions. So I was a lot of the broker relations, a lot of the owner relations. So like we were trying to like 
really just manage that part of everything. And now I'm trying to hop on the phone more with investors and kind of take control more of the investor relations side. So it's a lot of phone calls we're trying to set up. If they are local and they're okay with meeting in person, we will. But it's it's definitely, it's hard to sell yourself through the phone, I feel like. It's a lot easier to read the situation when you're in person, or even like a Zoom call like this. Like it's a little bit because I can see like how you react to what I'm saying, if it's good, if I should change my pace, like anything like that. So I think like this distancing stuff makes it very difficult to like not only sell yourself, but just like read the conversation. That makes sense. So how did you start getting into your first multifamily? What did you do? And just how did you how did you get started? Right. So this is a good story. So when I first, the first purchase I ever did in real estate was a house hack fourplex, right? Had no clue about multifamily, nothing about anything. I just, uh, at the time I left my electrician job and started working for the government. And in that small mastermind of young people, I was one of the only ones that had like, I guess like a W2, like steady job. A lot of them were realtors. So their income like varied, right? So I had like a very steady income and this guy brought it to me. I was like, hey, you know, I think you could get approved. Why don't you check it out? And I was like, sure, you know, I need to catch up anyway. Might as well buy four at a time, right? So we went through the process and it was a very long process. And it's, it's actually funny how I did get approved because I went to night shift at my new job and I, you get a dollar raise. And I actually needed a letter from my boss for that dollar raise in order to get approved for the loan. <laughs> it was that close. But so we took that down, went through a lot of growing pains. We had an eviction the first tenant, we, you know, after I moved out, we had to evict the lady. She played on a lot of emotions, every red flag in the book, right? Hey, got to move in this Friday. Oh yeah. You know, like my bank account's frozen for some reason. I'll get you that. Like it was a lot, a lot of mistakes. Luckily my electrical background helped us save a lot of money because there was actually three panels for four units. So they were just kind of Oh, you get this one, you get this one, you get this one. No clue of which one it actually went to. <laughs> so uh, I had to go in there and split it all up and make everything like fair again. Because one guy was paying like 20 bucks a month for electric. And then this other guy was paying like 200. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's because the guy on this one only had like a microwave and a light on his panel. He's like, oh, this is great. Pay 20 bucks for electric. I was like, yeah, of course it's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, like we went through a lot of learning curves, but here's where like, my mindset shifted to multifamily only. Shortly after that, I met my business partner, John Stober, who's our lead underwriter at Kronos. And we were like kind of in the same thing, like, hey, you know, we got to get, got to get moving. Like, you know, these guys are 20 years old doing 10 flips, like got to get moving. We can do a flip. Of course, we can do that. So we found a row home in Baltimore City. Baltimore City does not have a good rep, but this was a decent area. And we just jumped right into it. Wholesaler gave it to us. We're like, let's do it. This partner we had was like, it should be a good deal. And we jumped into it. Did not know enough. Did not know enough. If anybody's listening, I definitely don't recommend a full gut renovation for your first flip. <laughs> but so we, like, we went through a lot of learning pays, right? Like, so we were trusting this guy to lead us. He didn't do that. It took us too long to fire a friend. Bad contractors. We went under budget on the renovation. Like we, we didn't estimate enough, you know, and we had to pay more. So we had to get crappy contractors, which then we had to redo the work. So it just was, it was this thing was a money pit, right? It took us 18 months. We thought it was going to be six. And when we took, took a step back and realized this, we looked at both of the two situations, right? And so like we made a lot of mistakes with both, both very beginner mistakes. Every time I made a mistake with the flip, it cost me like thousands and thousands of dollars. Every time I made a mistake with the fourplex, the fourplex still paid us. 
And that's when we really kind of look like learned like, oh, this is a little bit less risky. You don't have thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to just be able to like risk. Like we had to go through a six month eviction. It's hard to evict people here in Maryland. Six month eviction, like the previous property manager hired homeless people to do work around it. So the work sucked, had to fix that. But the other three tenants were always paying just fine. So all of our bills were always taken care of. And we had a little bit extra to take care of any of that extra work. And that's really when like the light bulb went off. It was just like, we have way better chance of succeeding with something like this because of the safety net. And with more units, it makes it that much safer. So that's really the epiphany I had with the two investments. One that went terrible and cost me thousands of dollars on a bad decision and one that paid, still paid for itself. So do you still own both of those properties? No, luckily we did sell that flip. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> the thing was uh, burning a hole in our pockets, as uh, they like to say. But luckily, I mean, it was our own money. So, you know, like I'm fortunate enough not only to be able to lose that money, fortunate enough that it wasn't anybody else's money besides my own. And really, if that flip goes well, I don't know if we're in multifamily now. So I'm kind of fortunate that it put us on track to where we really wanted to be anyway. So we got rid of the flip and I still have the fourplex. And that's actually running very smoothly. We did put it on the market to kind of do like a market check. I guess we're one of those stubborn sellers right now that everybody's (laughs) talking about with, we need this price or don't worry about it. But, you know, we wanted to see what it was like. I mean, on the buy side, we've noticed a lot of people overpaying. And since we own this asset, we were just like, hey, see if somebody will overpay for this, right? Like, why not? You know, it ended up not selling, but like we weren't really in like a position where it's like, oh, got to get rid of this. Like it still pays us like a good... 500 bucks a month each cash flow, me and my partner. So can't beat it. (laughs) (laughs) And so from there, what are you guys looking at to do now? So we've gone a lot of different routes. We've been looking at various markets. I think recently we've been able to kind of really tighten up on Florida. I, of course, one day want to move to Florida. So that's another incentive for me. But Florida seems to be like a really good market for us. We like the government there, how business friendly it is. There's a lot of growth. Uh, When we did our market research, I mean, there's probably 12 plus cities with 100,000 people that have more job growth than the U.S. is predicted. I mean, these are all predictions, but still, I mean, you know, it's something on paper that you can try and measure. And when we looked at that, that's when we really kind of knew. And our third partner, Ryan McShay, he lives in Jacksonville. So we have boots on the ground. We have a nice market. And it just seems like the place really that we want to make a good home in. So how have you been able to hone in on the submarket within Florida? Right. So a lot of the things we look for is really job growth. We look at community, like score. Uh, we have a few websites that we look at. We want to understand like the area, like where, if it's growing, what type of shops are there. I think one of the main things when making any kind of purchase is understanding the tenants and understanding the clientele that you're going to be working with. So there's a good website called niche.com and it pretty much gives like a good score on the area, right? It'll rate schools, it'll rate crime. And it's really people rating this for you. So it's not like survey sent out and whatever, like people go on there and actually rave about an area or don't, right? And so like we can kind of go into the zip codes and understand the median income, you know, the median age. We go on bestplaces.com to understand what types of jobs are there. Like is it mostly retail? And a lot of this stuff is really, as we look in Florida and they like brokers or owners like contact us, we're able to kind of just take it deal by deal and be like, okay, is this a place? You know, we have cities we like and MSAs, but in those MSAs, there's always going to be bad patches that you don't want to be in. And so we take this kind of process where we look at, okay, what's the crime like? job growth, median age, are are they single, married with children? That all plays a big part into whether or not the property is worth going into. Because if your average household size is three, 
and this is all one bedroom studios, you're going to have a vacancy problem, right? And if you're sitting there looking at a bigger asset, let's say 200 units, and you want to add some amenities or something like that. If you notice most of them are single and younger, they probably have pets, right? I mean, if you're single and lonely, you're probably going to have pets. So it's good to add a dog park, stuff like that, like maybe a gym, because maybe you're trying to get somebody, right? Because you're single. So, I mean, it's really good to understand the area like that and look at the shops, you know, like if you're in an area and there's Walmart and McDonald's and Burger King, like those are big name places, but they're very cheap, like in in terms of like goods, right? So if you go into a building and you're like, okay, we're going to put granite, we're going to have the nice thermostats, digital nest thermostats, we're going to have recessed lighting, we're going to put in a dog park and a gym. Is that really the place to do it? If there's a Starbucks, a Whole Foods, a Nordstrom right up the road, that might be the place where you have to put the granite. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to compete. So we really look on a lot of things, but we try to understand that tenant because really at the end of the day, and Brian Chavis is one of the guys that coined this, buildings don't pay rent, people do. So you have to understand the people. That makes sense. So does your partner, so he's the boots on the ground in Florida for you guys. Do you also go out there to visit as well? Yes. Yes. So when we have like a deal that's actually becoming closer to the finish line, we'll, we'll come out there and we'll walk here with the property manager and the contractors and we'll get a good feel. And also it's been a little difficult here with COVID because of like the airports and everybody's kind of like, eh, you know, stay away. <laughs> it's been a little difficult to get out there and really just kind of like make an appearance and like meet with people because some brokers, even though their job is to work with people, they don't they don't want to meet in person. They'd rather do a Zoom meeting maybe or, or even like that. So it's been difficult to make the market visits and like do the, the tours and like just do like a market survey, really. Like we were looking in Columbus, Ohio for a while and we would go out there, you know, like once a quarter and just go into like the zip codes that we liked and just walk buildings and just see what they're doing. How does the leasing staff treating us? Like what kind of upgrades are they offering? What what kind of amenities are they adding in? Stuff like that. And like, we really just try to like learn like, okay, if you're in, this this part of town and you have the white color scheme with the with the gray what what type of rent are you going to get so we haven't been able to do that as much with covid <laughs> <laughs> and so among the three of you partners you're mostly primarily focused on the acquisition aspect of it that's correct yes so i've i've been pretty proactive in the in the acquisitions i'm starting to make a shift into the investor relations side but i have been handling acquisitions for the most part that's been my role. How have you, between the three of you guys, how have you been able to determine the strengths and the weaknesses? And how did you decide that one person's going to do the acquisitions? Another person's going to be focusing on another area of this multifamily piece of it. How do you guys determine the different roles and responsibilities? So the roles and responsibilities, you know, some come clearer than others, right? John, our lead underwriter, he is financial analysis, got two finance degrees, like it's no question like numbers are his thing. And adversely, he doesn't really like talking to people on the phone as much, right? So, I mean, if you take into those qualities, you're like, okay, this guy's going to be our underwriter and our asset manager, right? Like he knows the financial aspect of that. Ryan, very professional talking, very good at talking with investors about money, but he's also good at selling himself to brokers. So, I mean, me and Ryan had a little bit of a different approach to who does what. And really it was just kind of like, okay, we're going to do this. And who who's good at what and who's good at not. So like for me, I really liked like being on the phone with the brokers, understanding the deal, doing that like first initial underwriting. John kind of comes in when it's like getting serious. Like I can do like a very quick pass, doing the market research, talking with owners to see how we can make a deal and just really kind of like talking like shop pretty much. Like I, I enjoy doing that. And I think it's super important to silo your business because we talked about this earlier with with my team. 
we talked about how important it is for you to be consistent with something. You can't start tweaking and making perfections if you're not consistent first. So if you're the acquisitions guy and then you're the underwriter and then you're the asset manager and then you're an investor relations, it makes it very tough for you to like kind of make a home and like have that focus, you know? So when I look at a syndication business, I think of three major operations, right? Acquisitions, capital raising, investor relations, and asset management. So between those three, there's three of us, like somebody needs to drive it home. And I think it, it, you just work so much better as a team when you're siloed and you got, okay, you're on acquisitions, you make your own KPIs, you know what numbers you got to hit, and then you come report to us. And then I do my part. Like I think of it as sports too. Not everybody has to be the quarterback right? Somebody has to be the kicker and save the game when it's on the line. So I think it's very important to silo your team. And so other than Ohio and Florida, are you guys looking at any other markets? No, we were working with a fund for a little bit and we were looking like kind of all over in a way. Like we we probably had about eight markets that I was tracking, eight different like broker relations with at least seven guys each. So it, it was a lot of work. And since then we've been starting to kind of just like, look, you know, instead of going far, we're going to go deep. And that's when we really kind of realized like our strengths of having Ryan at home in Florida full time, like we, we should be utilizing that. So that's, that's kind of like the path we take. I mean, we've looked in OKC, Tulsa, Little Rock, we've looked in Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, Texas, Columbus, Maryland, Virginia. So, I mean, like we had a lot of things that we were looking at. And when we were working with the fund, like we were the acquisition piece. So that was our focus. So it it worked really well for that part because we were siloed. And that's what really kind of made us transition that way internally as well. It was just like, okay, look, like we need people doing each job and like that's your home. And so can we talk a little bit about the importance of branding and how have you guys been able to brand yourselves a little bit different than the other syndicators? Sure. So we are kind of young. <laughs> we Our podcast is Millennial Multifamily. So we, we talk with a lot of younger folk as well. And I think branding for us is really kind of just, I've worked with my business partner, John, about making this ebook on underwriting. And we've kind of really, we're trying to brand ourselves as somebody who's data-driven, but also knows our numbers and is able to just put out content. So branding is so important, I feel like, for like almost every single aspect, right? Like you look at the three major operations again, right? Acquisitions. Why do you need branding for acquisitions? Need the brokers to know who you are, right? They need to know that you can close. They need to know your name. They need to be on your newsletter so they see what you're doing. They need to know that you know what you say you know, right? Invest relations. They need to be able to be comfortable with you, right? Like you need to brand yourself, provide value, give content, show them why this is a great investment vehicle, even if it's not like a specific deal, just why this space is good for them. And then asset management, you want your tenants to know like, oh, that's a Kronos property. Like they take good care of the property itself, good care of the tenants, and they're not here to just make squeeze every dollar out of you. They're here to make a community and make this a home. And so like branding in all three of those places are just so important because word travels fast. If you're like a, a bad operator, if you know you do some slimy things on the front and you back out of deals, or if you do anything bad to, with investors' money, if you're a bad steward, this is a small community. People will know who you are. They'll know that you did this. They know that you did that. And you may burn a lot of bridges if you try to take a shortcut. So I think branding is so important to just have your reputation lead you. That makes sense. And for your podcast, when did you guys start it and how often are you guys releasing episodes? So we started recording back in March and we tried doing this little trick where we front loaded like 40 episodes and then we released one every single day to try and like pump up our numbers. I don't, I don't think Apple's algorithms work like that anymore. <laughs> but 
that's what we were shooting for. And so for a month straight, we sent out an episode a day. And then now we do one a week. But we've been recording since March. We've been live since the end of August. So uh, we've had a good bit of guests on. And yeah, I mean, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, really not to sound too selfish, but you know, the podcast is great because I as a host and my other partner as a host, like we just learned so much through it. Like that's a good bit of our education as well. You know, like we interviewed Brian Burke and he talked about floating rate debt and like it blew our minds. We're just like, holy crap. So, I mean, like it's, it's been a really awesome situation. Like that's also helped us brand. Like people are getting to know us. Absolutely. agree. I totally agree with learning from the guests aspect of it. Like even with our podcast too, it's, it's learning a lot from the different guests and just taking that and just internalizing it because the people that you're talking to, they're so knowledgeable and then you're just trying to absorb as much as you can so that you can apply it to your own self. So yeah, it's, it's been amazing. Like, honestly, like I, I get excited. Like, even like, I remember saying this to John, even I was like, even if this thing flops, we just got a whole bunch of great education from these top tier people. Yeah. You know, and all we had to do was say we were doing a podcast and they agreed. I mean, hardly anybody really says no to podcasts. So you can get some really good guests on. Yeah. Um, and, and especially with the multifamily space and real estate, everybody has this abundance mindset. So they're always willing to share and they're always willing to want to share their knowledge and help wherever they can. So yeah, no, it's been a great experience. I'm so glad we did it. <laughs> <laughs> so Fritz, what's next for you and your company? So I think what's next is I'm going to transition more into that investor relations role, kind of really work on that branding position a lot. We've been doing a lot with our ebook and trying to educate people on underwriting. We have a little course out and we have this nice big analyzer that John created. And we're really trying to just keep educating. Right now is the time to be patient in the market. There's a lot of like, everybody's holding their breath, right? (laughs) Is COVID going to do what we think it's going to do or is it just going to be fine, right? So, I mean, it's very difficult to go into deals with certainty. So it's good to be patient right now. It's good to, hey, maybe take a step back and work on the business. Not stop looking for deals, but just like make, understand that you're going to, there's, there's a big gap in between seller expectations and where you can actually pay for a property. And that patience, I think is really What's next for us is building the system behind us, branding and the investor relations. We're going to be ready for if there is a dip and if there isn't a dip, we're going to be ready. And so Fritz, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Honestly, every aspect, really. It's changed how I think about things. It's changed how I set goals. It's changed the people I meet. It's changed my relationships with my family, my girlfriend. It's changed everything that I do. And I think like when you get into this field, like you, you meet all these amazing people who are just doing this amazing stuff. And like, you may think like, oh, they're just rich, like they're snobby or whatever. But really a lot of the times they're the most generous people in the world trying to do a cause, provide for their family, just help the world. And like you get around those people and it just sticks to you. It's contagious, that kind of mentality and just everything. So, I mean, really, you know, like it just gave me hope that like there's something bigger than me out there. And especially when I found out you didn't need an MBA <laughs> to be a real estate investor. You know, I was just like, I'm all in because I know how to work hard. It's just, I don't like college. <laughs> <laughs> so what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Know your numbers. That is the biggest thing. It just happened in that question you just asked me, right? That mentality of I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen. I got news for you. You cannot make it happen on a bad investment. Know your numbers, buy smart. I don't care how great your attitude is. If you buy a crap property, it will drag you through the mud and you will have a crap property still at the end. (laughs) (laughs) 
just got to know your numbers and know your market. And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I think it's grit. I think being might be a little contradictory of what I just said, but like you got to be in that mindset that every challenge is a stepping stone and not a wall. So like being able to solve complex problems and, you know, if you do make that mistake because you don't know your numbers, like how are you going to get out of this thing without it dragging you down? I worked 400 hours of overtime when we were going through that flip just just to like make sure that I was set. And I, I had to do that. But you just have to be in a position to say, no matter what, this is going to happen. I'm going to come out of this fine. I'm going to make it happen. And just it's a stepping stone, not a wall. And what tools or techniques have you used to improve the efficiency of your business or your personal life? So the tools, I'm the tech guy out of our group. My business partners are a little technology challenged. <laughs> but a lot of efficiency through technology has been my kind of thing, like automations. We use Asana. So I mean, like building the deal pipe pipeline, being able to have follow-up systems with brokers and investors alike, having checklists where like it goes to somebody like that, incorporate other team members such as property managers into it. And we're really trying to just have that traction principle. I don't know if uh, your listeners have read that book, but traction is like, I'm a very, I like to oversimplify things and it just works for me. A lot of people hate that, but I love it because it's just so simple. And that book is like, I don't want to say it's simple, but it's like gold. It's like very clear cut, step-by-step guide of how to structure your business so you guys will succeed. And, you know, I've been incorporating that not only into the business, but into my personal life as well. And like one of the main things they tell you to do is set your core values because it makes everything else clear. And I think since since that, like it's been very beneficial to me. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) And Fritz, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you, where can they go? Okay. So they can come to my Facebook, Fritz Ritter is, is... just search that, I'm sure. There's a, there is a couple other Fritzes out in the world, but I don't know how many Fritz Rivers there are. Cronusinvestmentpartners.com. You guys want to link up with us there. We have a few subscription lists or even that. And then we have the underwriting ebook, which is free right now, which is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash underwriting ebook. And you can go there and download a free ebook. And it goes through a lot of stuff with underwriting for new investors trying to get into this space. Awesome. And then also, where can they go to find out about your podcast? Podcast is Millennials and Multifamily. We're on Apple, Spotify. Actually, if you go on our website, I have a a little carousel, I guess you want to say, (laughs) carousel video of our podcast that go on there. And eventually we'll be up on YouTube as well. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing today, Fritz. Really enjoyed having you on the show today. Thank you, Eileen. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.